0: everyone before we start i wanted to let you know if you would like to watch our whole service head to our website that's dc2.me and from the media drop down click sermons you can watch our whole service there and now here's this week's sermon hi how are you good My name's Emily. I'm one of the pastors here at Discovery. And I'm so glad that you're here today. And I'm really looking forward to what God has in store for our faith community, especially in this new series that we're going through. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith, whether you believe in God and you trust Him and you have a relationship with Him, or if you're checking out the claims of Christ, you are welcome here. And I think we can all learn something together. So today, we're looking at the claims of Christ as told by Matthew, a Jewish tax collector turned friend and sidekick of Jesus. Now, there are four biographies of Jesus that we have. We've got Matthew, we've got Mark, Luke, and John, and each biography focuses on a different demographic of people and shows them why Jesus is worth following and how he is not only the son of God, but God himself. So Matthew, a Jewish tax collector, which is kind of weird in the first place, decides to gear his language, his stories, and his experiences to the Jewish people to show them that Jesus is the real deal. He's the Messiah, the savior, and the kingdom that they've been looking for. I remember reading parts of the Bible when I was a kid, and when it came to reading a bunch of names that are listed all in a row with maybe some commas in the middle, I completely zoned out. That's a good chunk of Matthew chapter one, which is what we're gonna talk about today. So excited. How about you? Yeah, some of you are ready, and some of you are like, you're gonna butcher all of these names, gonna mispronounce them, and you are absolutely right. Um, so these are all the names that we're gonna go through today. Wow, isn't that cool? There's like 40 something. I lost count after I was counting for a little bit. Um, this kind of feels like some fine print that you're supposed to read besi- before you um, sign your phone plan, right? It's unnecessary and too complicated and you don't really need it anyways in order to understand how much money you're gonna pay T-Mobile every month. Or this may feel like um, the credits after a movie. When people get up and leave right after the last scene is done, it doesn't feel like it ever really matters. Anybody, when you see all these names that are in the Bible and have some, has something to do with Jesus, do you kind of feel that way too? Like why do we need to talk about this? Oh, cool, <laughs> I'm the only one, that's fine. Totally okay. Well, I'm excited to dig into it because I've learned a lot of things, and I think I've changed my mind about some names, even though none of us can pronounce them very well. As I try to put myself in Matthew's shoes, and as he's writing the biography of Jesus, I wonder why he starts off this book in such a non-captivating way for me. He cites over 45 names in the genealogy of Jesus, and on the surface, if you're like me, you will likely glance over the first chapter of Matthew. But the whole reason for this series, however, is to dig deep into why Matthew wrote about Jesus and how he did it. The whole point behind the series is for you and I to maybe catch a glimpse and a hunger pain even for what the authors of scripture experienced with God himself. And oftentimes, the things that seem unnecessary and unimportant hold a large significance, kind of like a diamond in the rough. Now, genealogies for Israel were not only created to be a family tree, but a map with roots of royalty and priesthood. Genealogies were meant to be impressive. They were meant to catch the eye of approval and awe at how important somebody was. They were geared towards kingship and power to increase the validity of the ruler in question. Now genealogies, they often contained broken lines of descent and really only highlighted the important people in somebody's lineage. And that's why you might read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew and go back and read it in Luke and some of the names will not be on there. You'll find different names. Some of them seem completely different. And you might be like, well, what the heck happened here? Genealogies were used as a proof of a concept or claim, and the authors used specific people in specific genealogies to back up whatever they were trying to prove. So, for today, we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus through the eyes of what I think Matthew sees and the point of what I think he's trying to prove because the names that he chooses to add here speak volumes to the character of God, as well as the identity of Jesus, who is the Messiah. And you might hear that term and you might be like, Emily, what is a Messiah? Well, we're gonna learn about it today. So a Messiah comes from the Jewish tradition. It's a future Jewish king that the Jewish people, the Jewish community are hoping and praying for they their promise from God himself. And this Messiah is supposed to come from the Davidic line, so the line of King David. And this is really, really important. The Hebrew community believed that the coming Messiah was going to rebuild their broken temple in Jerusalem and to also gather the Jewish community from everywhere and bring them back to the land of Israel where they belong. This Messiah is also supposed to come from the line of Abraham, which is also really, really important. It shows the roots of Judaism and the history that God has with his people. It shows the continuity of God and the follow-through of his intended promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. So Matthew starts off this genealogy with this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham." So right away, Matthew's making a really, really important statement. Like this is, he's saying this is the genealogy of Jesus, our Messiah, who holds the backbone of the Jewish history and the scepter of royalty. Matthew begins this genealogy of Jesus with his great, 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 super great, extra great-grandpa, Abraham. He goes all the way back. And so now, we know about Abraham, and we know about David, and why they're important, and why they needed to be in the genealogy of Jesus. But what about the other 40-something names? Why didn't Matthew just write down those two names and call it good? We're going to read. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 2 through 6. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. So has anybody done a genogram before? Have you heard of that word? A genogram Here at Discovery, people are able to take a course. It's called Leadership Community. um, And everybody in this course completes a genogram Basically, it's like a 23andMe kind of. Um, It's a map of your family history, but it also includes the emotional relationships that your family has with each other, the um, uh, spiritual relationships, the intellectual relationships. It has a lot of things that go deeper than just finding out who your great, 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 great grandpa is. So I tried to do this for Jesus. There's a lot of names in there. I'm going to show you what a genogram kind of looks like. Um, I work with students, okay? So saying that, uh, some saying that I've adopted when I like share some drama or some some emotional um, interesting findings, which is what we're going to do up here. People will say, spill the tea, sis. Okay, so that means like I want to know about the drama because there's a lot of drama that's going on, especially in the line of Jesus. So... If that's new to you, you can practice this with your fellow younger people in your life and you'll sound really super cool. This probably happened maybe like 10 years ago, so it's not as like hip as it used to be, but we're going to practice this, okay? So we're talking about the lineage of Jesus and it's going to get a little spicy here. So what do you guys say? Spill Spill the tea, sis. Well done. All right. This is from the top, Jesus's line. Starting with Abraham, so if you'd notice, in a genogram, you'll have some red lines. Red lines are bad. (laughs) Red lines mean um, discomfort or disjointed relationships. They mean a lot of conflict. They mean a lot of brokenness. So if you see from here, it doesn't start off super great. And you're able to read about all of these things in the Bible, it's not outside information really. So this is in your Bible, the relationship with Abraham, his wife, Um, his kids and his kids' kids. There's not a lot of super great things going on in the relationship. Sometimes there is, but at the core of it, there's a lot of conflict. Okay, next slide, please. We've got Jacob and his wife. So he was supposed to marry Rachel, fun fact, but he didn't. He married Leah and he had a bunch of kids with her. Um, So all of his kids disliked one of Jacob and Rachel's kids, which is a lot of family conflict, right? It's a lot of red. Yeah. Next slide, please. All right, we've got Salmon and Rahab, then we've got Boaz and Ruth. Now there's some green stuff going on. Green means good, and a circle means love. So there's some healthy relationships going on here, and I wanna talk about Rahab for a second. So historical context for you, women were like never involved in historicity, historicity, historicity. They were never involved in the recording of history, especially with genealogies, because this is all about royalty and kingship. Um, Where Israel was at, kings had to do with males, and females didn't really matter. So the important thing in Matthew's genealogy, he lists several women Which is actually a really big step during this time. So, I want to talk about who Rahab is and why she was in the genealogy of Jesus. She was a Canaanite, which means that she was a Gentile. She was not a Jewish person in the line of history. She was also a prostitute, she was an outcast and she wasn't accepted by the Jewish community, and she was also a woman. Like, that's a lot of things that aren't, um, they don't mesh well together with the Jewish community at this time, and that's a big deal. You can find Rahab's story in Joshua too, um, and she actually plays a really big part in the line of Jesus. So um, we're going to read Joshua two fourteen through 16, and you can read the rest on your own later today or throughout this week if you want to know more about her. It says, Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. She actually saved a bunch of Hebrew people and the entire Hebrew community. That's a big deal. Why do you think Matthew put Rahab in there? All right, we have another slide um, of the genogram of David. Can we put that up, please? All right, so there's um, a lot of discord and a lot of really good things that happen in these relationships. Um, The thing that we're going to focus on is David. So he's a king, he's royal, right? He was the father of Solomon. We'll continue with Matthew. He was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. So that's a lot of Old Testament names. That's a lot of names that maybe a lot of us aren't familiar of. I want to talk about Hezekiah and Manasseh for a second. So Hezekiah... Was a king of Israel. He um, reigned over the southern kingdom of Judah for 30 ish years, and it's said that he had a really close relationship with God. He did what was good and what was right and what was faithful before the Lord. His dad actually worshiped a lot of idols from outside religions, and he had a lot of temples and places of worship for those things in the land of Israel. So Hezekiah, part of his job as the leader of this um, nation, was to take all the idols and the temples that were not of God and destroy them. So he started this healthy form of leadership that brought his people back to God. Now Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, was a complete 180 turnaround from that. He did the exact opposite. He went against God. He was super immoral. He killed a lot of people and he sacrificed his son to pagan gods. And both of those people were in the line of David and Abraham and Jesus. We're going to continue on in the genealogy of Jesus. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliehud, Eliehud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matthan, Matthan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. We've got a genogram from Eleazar all the way to Jesus. So, there is even conflict between Joseph and Mary. And you can read that right after the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. Mary, we're going to talk about her. Who was she? Well, one, she was a virgin, she was also a teenager. And she was not married, she was probably real, real poor. That's a lot of other things that aren't very impressive for somebody who would become the king of Israel, the Messiah, the person that's supposed to save this Hebrew community. So this life of God, in a nutshell, it's not flashy and it's not perfect. It's sort of kind of like a weird soap opera if you take the time to read the Bible and look at it. But I think that there's something deeper here. So Zach shared last week about a Jewish hymn that has been recited by many in their prayers, and it goes like this. Thank God that I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. This is a Jewish prayer. In this language, there's legitimacy in this prayer for a Jewish person, but the genogram of Jesus proves that that doesn't have to be the case. The gene of Graham of Jesus proves that, hey, all of those are welcome here. And it's in the story of Jesus, both slaves and women and Gentiles. And that's a really, really profound thing to look at for the Messiah. Because he's supposed to have an impressive background. He's supposed to have an impressive lineage, right? Right? That just seems kind of messy. Hey, I think it would be worth your time this week to maybe close your eyes, open up to Matthew 1 before you do that, and then close your eyes, take your finger and point to a name in the genealogy of Jesus, and take maybe 15 to 20 minutes and dig up any info that you can about them. Because ultimately, I think you'll find some information out about Jesus as you look into what these names are and who they were as people. It's pretty fun to do because the crazy thing that you can do with this exercise is see God himself the most divine of the divine, and yet the most human of humans at the same time. To see a God who put himself in the shoes of his beloved creation because he wanted a relationship with them. I don't think he really cared about a perfect pedigree. He had no interest in being impressive. But what he did have an interest in is being with us. John 1 says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, this one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. For me, that's pretty sobering. For me to picture a divine deity who decided to become someone like me. However he did that in the first place, that kind of blows my mind. And then he decides to embrace all of the junk and the disparity and the confusion and the hardship that brings all of us at times. To picture this divine being and see that he ran away from nothing. That embodied the essence of humanity. He simply drew closer to it. Now, somewhere along the line in my faith journey as a child, I picked up this belief and this idea that God absolutely could not be around sin, that he was physically incapable to even look at it. That if he looked at something bad, he would say, deuces, you're kind of like out of luck and we'll never come back. I'm sure you can imagine that spiritual devastation that that would have on a little kid. And maybe you had some similar belief about that and about God, but the people in the genealogy of God, they tell me something different because they had a firsthand experience that was vastly different from this weird idea about the character of God that I perceived to be true. We looked at some examples today with Rahab, with Manasseh, with Hezekiah and with Mary. I think Matthew wanted his audience to recognize that Jesus was for everyone, not just the religious um, elite, nor just the bloodline of Abraham. And I think Matthew wanted his audience to know that, and I'm using the language that we have here at Discovery, he wanted the audience to know that no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you're a part of the story of God. And whatever your story contains, God can make something meaningful and beautiful out of it. And if there is any part of you, or maybe even just um, one morsel of you that believes that Jesus is not supposed to be here for a specific group of people, or maybe even just that one person that you strongly dislike, I think that Matthew says otherwise. And I know that Jesus says otherwise as well. Jesus' story is like all of ours. It's messy, and it's tough, and it's full of hard things. Jesus' story is human. The story of God is human. The story of God involves us, you and me, and God wants us to be a part of that. I'm going to invite the band up. Um, One of the passages that I've been focusing on Uh, recently is in Jeremiah, it's in the Old Testament, and God says something really profound. He says, am I only a God nearby and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? I think there's a beautiful thing about worshiping a God or learning about a God or checking out the claims of a God who is in this very room and also above everything. I think there's something fascinating about a God who fills heaven and earth and also this space right here, a God who decided to become human and to embrace all of the mess that we deal with, and a God who overcame it, and a God who forgave it and a God who is inviting you and I into a full life. I think Matthew here is saying, bring who you are to the table. When I have a party at my house, you're invited. I wanna ask you this question for this week. What are some messes in your life that you might have? What are some things that you think about some actions maybe that you've done some things that have been done to you that you're not sure that god can take maybe you're not sure that your friends can take maybe you think that you can overcome something in your life and you don't have to tell god about it i want to tell you that that's okay and god has seen a lot Whatever mess you have, I want to invite you to bring it to the table with your exploration of Christ, with your journey of faith. God's not scared of it, it's part of His story too. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory. Like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. For those of you who are able to, I want to invite you to take everything out of your hands and lay your hands, palms open on your lap. Maybe take a couple of breaths if you need, if you're feeling anxious, then do that. We're gonna take a few seconds of silence and I want you to think about these things. The fact that God moved into the neighborhood, became fully human as he was fully divine, lived a life that was messy, just like you and me. And then how the same very God could overthrow any sin, any shame, any evil, and how he could have the power to forgive and to invite you and I into a life with him. Jesus Christ, the Messiah from the royal line of David and the Hebraic line of Abraham. The one who proved with his life that God loves his people so deeply and so compassionately and that his love is for every single person that he created. Not just the religious teachers, not just his friends, quite literally everyone and the one who proved that the love of God can change a person's entire trajectory and outlook on life. It's changing mine. What's this journey leading you to? God, I thank you for your grace and mercies that are new every morning. I thank you that the messes that we find ourselves in sometimes are not overlooked by you. I thank you for loving us with a love so deep and a love so kind and compassionate and a love full of power and might and kingship. Thank you that you love us. I thank you that you invite us into your story. thank you that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have our stuff together. We don't have to answer every question that we have about life or faith or anything. That you're here to meet us where we're at and to take us along a journey of faith and life together. For those of us who are asking questions about you, I ask that you would provide people in our lives where we can talk about those things too. For those of us who are curious about what scripture has to say about you, I ask that you would um, give us a sense of desire and yearning and hunger for what your word says. God, thank you for this space. We love you. We want to know more about you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.